Welcome to Gatekeeper, a podcast about booking from the bookers and gatekeepers who decide who's in, who's out. Also, there's other stuff. And now your host of Gatekeeper, artistic director of the Hollywood Improv, Jamie Flam. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Gatekeeper. It's a podcast. My name is Jamie Flam. I am the host, and I am the Gatekeeper. So this is a milestone episode. It's the 30th episode of this program. And as we were reaching this milestone, I couldn't help but reflect on other milestones. Of course, there's the great Miles Davis album, Milestones, but I'm not talking about that milestone per se. Uh, there's the pyrite and the, the granite and quartz that I picked up on my walk this morning, uh, right as I hit the mile mark. That was pretty cool as I walked through that quarry. But that's not the milestones I'm talking about either. I'm talking about life milestones. Ages. Seems like just yesterday I was 30, but guess what? I'm about to turn 40 years old. And just, just over a week, I will be a 40-year-old man. And uh, over the hill, as they say, right? <laughs> but what is a hill, really? What is the hill of life? What is this great mountain that we're traversing? I don't know. Is it a mountain that's made of milestones as you reach every step? Well, that actually is a pretty nice little metaphor. But I don't know. What do I know? I don't know much. What have I learned? When I was 30 years old, I had just moved to L.A., and gotten a job as the booker and manager of a brand new comedy theater called the West Side Eclectic, now the West Side Comedy Theater. And if you'd asked me then where I'd saw myself 10 years later, I probably would have still told you I'll be on SNL and, you know, I'm going to be a famous comedian and beloved by all. And here I am now, you know, booking one of the most famous comedy clubs in the world and getting to rub elbows with people I've always looked up to. But it wasn't exactly what I had planned. It's not exactly what I expected. It's easy for me, and I think many people understand how our brains work as artists and comedians, to think that I failed in reaching these goals that I'd set out, that I'm not on SNL. But I've learned so much, and the one thing I've learned the most is that you have to be open to where the path is going to take you. And as we all know, there are so many roadblocks Along the way, sometimes you have to just plow right through that roadblock. Sometimes you have to find a detour. Sometimes you have to just sit and think on how you're going to handle this. But the main thing you have to remember is just to keep moving forward, to keep doing what you love doing no matter what, because ultimately the true joy comes in that very doing. And when you're present in the moment of making the things that you want to make, that's where you realize that. SNL isn't just the show you want to be on, but it's a state of being that you can be in anywhere. And for me, I can be unfrozen caveman lawyer or Wayne and Garth or, or the Coneheads or, or Stuart Smalley or Dieter or the Landshark or one of the Californians or Cajun Man or Pat or... Hillary Clinton, or the Night at the Roxbury guys, or Mr. No Depth Perception, or insert relevant pop culture reference here, or Don Pardo, or Lorraine Newman, or 
Jamie Flam. I know it sounds cheesy, but you just got to be yourself and just keep doing. So if there's one takeaway, it's just to continue on your path of finding yourself, finding your true voice, because as long as you're on that path, you can remember that the best is always yet to come. And I'm actually excited about my 40s because I know now that I can only be present and I try my best every day not to live in regret about the past or be anxious about the future because it's all about right now. And the best part of all is that as technology is changing, we don't have to be on SNL to be on SNL. Through the wonderful art of sound design, hell, I'm about to make my SNL debut. How's everyone doing? It's great to be here on SNL. We got a great show for you. Wiz Khalifa is here. Uh, We'll be right back after this fake commercial. Oh, wow. What a dream. I felt like I was actually there. (laughs) Wiz Khalifa in the house. (laughs) He's so good with whatever he does with the microphones and stuff. Ah, now if Seems like I'm making fun of Wiz Khalifa, and I'm sure he's a great artist, just one that I'm not familiar with. And for comedic effect, I've learned enough to know that Wiz Khalifa is good for a laugh. Uh, Or not, if you're a fan. Maybe you're offended. I don't think that the demographic of Gatekeeper is huge Wiz Khalifa fans, but if you are, I respect you. Now, we have an episode of the show to get to. We have another great interview. My guest is the great Brittany Everett. Brittany is a fantastic booker. She's already done a lot with her career in a short amount of time. She started at the Gersh Agency, and her career has taken her to booking for Craig Ferguson, Hannibal Burst's show on Comedy Central, Hollywood Today Live, and she's currently the head talent booker for Earwolf Podcasting. You're going to learn a lot, and you're really going to enjoy it. So with no further ado, our conversation. Enjoy. Gay Welcome to Gatekeeper. My name is Jamie Flam, and I am joined by Brittany Everett. Hi, Brittany. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. I like your red sweater. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Thanks for coming here on a Friday afternoon. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You're a busy person. Pretty busy right now, yeah. Well, let's start with what you're busy with. (laughs) You are currently, what's your position title at Hollywood Today Live? I'm the in-house talent booker there. Cool. And so you're booking guests. Yep, book in all the guests Monday through Friday. And then specific to this podcast, which is mainly about comedy at this point, you are the head talent booker for Earwolf Podcast Network. Correct. That's awesome. Well, let's start with how you got to these positions. Okay. You went to Emerson College. I did. What did you study? Television production. Okay. What did you want to do at that point? Produce TV. I'm smart. (laughs) (laughs) I've always been into late night wanted to get into late night since I was in high school. So what do you, what did you watch that inspired you? I, you know, I used to watch reruns of Carson and that's where I started my love with that. And then, you know, been a fan of Kimmel for a long time and 
Yeah, I mean, I like everything really, but Carson is where it started. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's very specific too. You you just wanted to get into late night. Yeah, it is very specific, but it's always been what I've wanted to do. So I read about Emerson randomly in a, you know, one of those like 300 colleges <laughs> books. Sure. And because uh, I'm from Arizona, so no one had heard of it, but we I went to the East Coast, went on a tour and just kind of fell in love with it. And that was that. And so then you graduated college and then you struggled for a year. I did. Yeah. It was very hard. I, you know, at that point I was like, I just want to get into production, get a PA job. And did you move straight to LA? I did my last semester of college out here because Emerson has a program. So I interned at Comedy Central, Got it. which was amazing. And <laughs> I think you're always hopeful. Well, they'll, they'll hire me once I graduate. That didn't happen. And so, you know, my parents said they weren't going to help me post college and they were they stayed true to that <laughs> so I had to move back to Arizona for a little bit and you know obviously nothing was happening there so my I have a twin sister and she lived in San Diego so I moved out there with her and I would drive up to LA once a week and set up job interviews and then would drive back the same day still struggled <laughs> and uh, she eventually moved up to LA and I went with her and I was going to have to leave again and finally last minute Got a job at the Gersh Agency, right? At a so good time. Why did you apply at that agency? <laughs> you know, I never wanted to go the agency route. It was something I knew I would never be into, but everyone kind of always said it's a great first start. And that's who hired me. <laughs> yeah, you gotta do it. Well, you worked with TJ Markwalter. I did, who and TJ is the best. Yeah, he's someone I would love to have on the show just because, you know, you deal with He'd be agents great. and he's arguably the coolest. Agent. Yeah, I didn't start with him at Gersh. I ended up there though, because their comedy department's so small and people stayed there for a long time. And eventually Morgan Franson, who was with him a long time, was leaving and just said to Morgan, Hey, I want your job. You know, how do I get in the room with TJ? And after five minutes with TJ, he was like, Well, you're gonna have to talk to your boss and tell her because I want to hire you. And that was that. And once I was with him and in the comedy department, I was really happy and I lived over on Hayworth right here. Yeah. And so would come here three or four nights a week. Hayworth. What, yeah. what's, what was your address? <laughs> 624. I'm at six. Well, I shouldn't probably say it. But <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm on. I was your neighbor. Yeah. I was. I love that. I shouldn't have left. Shouldn't have left. Where did you move to? <laughs> oh, that's another long story. I moved all around. moved a few different areas yeah, in you LA. Blew it but on I Hayworth did. Is, Especially the, the rent we were paying for that place. Two bedroom. Yeah. Don't leave West Hollywood if you have been there for a few years. Yeah, I can true. say that. So yeah. what did you get out of, so you didn't necessarily want to be an agent, but you just wanted to get some experience. Did you get what you wanted? Was that your first sort of interacting with talent? Oh yeah. I learned so much there and it, especially just not only the people you meet in the industry, but all the assistants that are there when you start, you all start up together and, you know, very few actually end up staying. So everyone goes out into the entertainment industry and you still have those connections and my best friends still to this day are people that I met there. So it was a very positive experience for sure. So at what point were you ready to move on? And you know, why? it was just one of those things and an agent had left and they were talking about doing some promoting and I just knew that it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I knew at that point I had to speak up and kind of, voice that I wanted to leave and TJ was very supportive and 
I was very lucky that the second I kind of put it out there, I heard that Russell Brand's late night show at FX was hiring in the on the staff in the writers' room and ended up getting a job there. How did how did that transition work? It, what was it a production job or a writing job? No, it, it was told to me that it was going to assist the showrunner, but the staff was so small there. All the producers were the writers, and probably a six or seven people in the office every day. It was very small, so you know, just kind of became jack of all trades for them, researching or we did like a live segment every day. Uh, there was one show a week, so we did a segment every day with the audience where it was like, you talk now, and Russell would interview them. So I had to kind of pre-interview people that were lined up for the audience, and that was a good kind of foray into, you know, just seeing who's good on camera, sure. and, and that was that was fun. And people that were there are great that I still talk to this day, to this day, like Jeff Cesario, Jeff Stilson, great people that have done, you know, Chris Rock show and things mm-hmm. like that. So it was awesome experience. How was Russell Brand? He was great. Yeah? I can't say anything but great things. He was so nice, so kind, and just think maybe it wasn't ultimately what he wanted to do, but, you know, he was very, very nice, very kind when my parents came to visit the show. <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, and that show was 100% live. Like, we're going to be on FX in 10 seconds, and I remember at one point, it was a big audience, like 250 people, and they never had any problems filling it. But one night, I think they were a little bit short, and it was like, Brittany, we need 20 more people to sit in the audience. And I remember I grabbed Russell's driver at one point. I was like, you need to sit here. Whoever's around, just, you know, so it was crazy. But a live show is always fun, too. Yeah, I mean, what kind of, how stressful is, is everyone leading up to that and during? It's insane. <laughs> it's stressed, yeah. Especially because if you call for something and it doesn't come up, like, it's just very... Can't can't edit it, can't fix it. So yeah. it's a lot when something's completely live like that. And so, how long did that last? It was only like twelve episodes. Yeah, and it was I, when I had gotten there. It was season two. Their first season wasn't live. I'm pretty sure this was the only one that was. So, yeah, it was a quick experience, mm-hmm. but a lot of fun. And so then, where do you go after that? So then I was <laughs> unemployed for a bit. You know. It's interesting being in production because there's all these pockets of time that I've collected unemployment and found another job or that show got canceled. And No, we'll talk about that for a minute because yeah. I, mean, I think a lot of, especially people listening that are more interested in booking or yeah. you know, like forgetting that, you know, part of the climb in your career, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of dead spots. For and sure. They have to, how do you survive um, not just, you know, financially, but um, psychologically during those times? It's hard. I'm definitely one of those people that's not great at being unemployed because I do love to work. So it's definitely hard emotionally. It's hard financially. And I will do anything I could to survive collecting unemployment is definitely something that I think people maybe don't like are ashamed to do, but Mm -hmm. it's saved me. and (laughs) And I would do little things like you can get paid to sit in the audience of shows for cash same day (laughs) and do that if I had to anything would you see some good shows see see some bad shows (laughs) oh my gosh yes one time I was in the audience of a RuPaul show not Drag Race which people are familiar but it was where (laughs) everyday women got made over into drag queens 
Interesting. So I was in the audience of that. And like at the end, they have to lip sync to a song, these women. And you're in the audience like, yeah. <laughs> what song do they sing? They ruined Independent Women by Destiny's mm. Child for me. <laughs> and did you feel empowered when you left? <laughs> you know, men getting made into drag queens is great. Women getting made into drag queens, not, not, not so great. So you, you didn't find a new career path at that point? No. But yeah, I, I gosh, I, I would have to think, but I've sat in the audience of a lot of random shows, which is fun though, too, because yeah. why not? Yeah, why the hell not? If I'm not doing anything from three to five. And you're also, I mean, <laughs> you're learning what you like and don't like and For you're sure. seeing any production. Yeah, I think it's good to just get out there and fill your time. So when you're in these audiences, did you ever try to pay more attention to what was happening and try to some of the production that you saw in your back pocket. Yeah, for sure. I think that's one of the fun things too is what that I did enjoy is watching the production and just seeing everything that's going on and who's doing what. And I think it's important to just every show you can see and learn and there's always something to take away from each show you go to, whether it's uh you know, uh sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, whether it's, I went to real time with Bill Maher, you know, and I know like Scott Carter has been doing that forever. So I think it's to try and maybe do research ahead of time so you can know what you're looking at or who you're looking at. Just because, like I said, just seeing who's done it before you and what they do well or what you would change. Totally. And yeah, there's so many opportunities, especially in LA and probably New York as well. For people that when, you know, you're unemployed, but you're working on your stand-up or your comedy or your writing or whatever, to go out and see and, and experience and, and watch yeah. just because you're we not. We live in such a great city. You have to take advantage of it. There's mm -hmm. something going on, so much going on every day. And, and the opportunity to learn and grow. And, you know, I think comics especially, they're like if I'm not up on stage, you know, doing a set that there's nothing to be learned. Mm -hmm. Um but the truth is, you know, there's so many other places to learn and grow and um, develop other skills that will be helpful in your career as a stand-up. Totally. Yeah. So I was unemployed for the summer, maybe the whole summer. And then a friend that was a comedy assistant at Gersh with me said he heard that they were hiring a receptionist at Craig Ferguson. And he was like, I know you're not looking for a receptionist job. And I was like, hey, no, if I can just get my foot in the door then I would love to. So it was one of those things where they had called me. They were about to go on a hiatus. And they were like, can you actually come today? <laughs> I was like, yep. <laughs> so I drove over there, went into the interview, and I was very vocal and said, listen, I know you're looking to hire a receptionist, but what I really want to do is be a booker. So I would hope that if I did get this job that I could be considered, you know, moving forward, growing with the show. And the producer at the time called in the executive producers to my interviews and one of them was the great Peter LaSalle who had produced Carson so that was very intimidating oh my god yeah so I and I knew that since I was a Carson fan so when he came into the room it was very intimidating but they kind of turned it into a booker interview at the same time you know they asked me who would you book on this show or who would you not book on this show and you know I did really well and they left and was still doing the interview and the phone rang and Peter called and said, hire her. 
and to be that, the booker. To be the receptionist. Oh, got it, got it. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. But still, got hired on the spot, which is always great. Yeah. Or never happened to me before. And then I was there for, I was doing the reception shop for about four months. And that was hard just because you're not doing anything. Right. Just answering the phones. So it's hard when you don't have anything to fill your day. And it seemed to me that there wasn't a lot of movement or people would st- were going to stay there a long time, which I don't blame them in their jobs. And then right after the Christ- Christmas break, Bart Coleman, who was booking the comedians at the time, told me that he was leaving. And to Bart's credit, he's been such a mentor to me and helped me out. He was like, I think you should talk to them about taking over for me. That's amazing. It was amazing. And so went to Peter and Michael and told them that I was very interested in the position. And, you know, they didn't really know my background, so I told them why. And they put me on a three-month trial, basically, to do the comedy bookings and have the job ever since then until Craig left. That is incredible. Yeah. And especially the the fact that it, working with Peter LaSalle and... Peter LaSalle, so, yeah. What, um, how often did they, did he have stand-ups on every show? No, not every show. It was just here and there, mm-hmm. you know. And what does that job look like? Especially um, if you're not booking for every show, is it just constantly scouting and, and prepping the comics for their set? Yeah, definitely prepping the comics for their set. And, you know, working with CBS, you have to go through standards with sure. the set, which is always interesting, especially since some comedians aren't used to that. So so who do who did you book during your time there? Is there anyone in particular or a few people that, you were really excited that maybe you got given their first set or yeah that's something I really loved about booking the comedians at the late late show is that I felt like it was important to recognize that this is where you should come if you haven't done a late night show before and how exciting it is to give someone their first break mm-hmm. as opposed to you know Jerry Seinfeld's gonna go to a set at the tonight show or whatever that's what I always loved is finding those people that were unknown and this was their first late night set because it's exciting for them and it makes you excited about your Absolutely. job and how so, much pressure do you feel when they're going up? And Oh, so much pressure. I take everyone personally. I want everyone to do well. And, you know, sometimes you have a lot of time to prep with someone on a set. And sometimes maybe something comes up and you have to fill something quickly. So that was great. But, um, yeah, some people that stand out. I mean, I, Jermaine Fowler, mm-hmm. I, he did his first night set when I was there, which is awesome to see. Yeah. Now he has a new show that he's doing really well. Uh. Did you know Alingon Mitra? Sure. He did his first late nights out there, and I know it was really important that I wanted him to first, because I know Tonight Show was looking out Mm -hmm. to him too. So I got him first, and that was exciting. Uh, And then the interesting thing is when Craig announced his retirement and was leaving, there was this period in between Cord and coming on and Craig leaving where we did all these guest host shows for about – 10 weeks maybe. That's right. And during that time, I had so much more room to put comedians in because they didn't want to let some hosts, you know, not as much time to fill. So mm-hmm. I maybe booked like 15 comedians in like seven weeks during that time. So that was so exciting because it was almost booking a comedian every, well, maybe every day. And just a lot more freedom to, to get all different kind of people on and Troy Walker was also one that stood out. He was great. He was actually just in L.A. for a week for pilot season. And Tom Lennon was guest hosting, and we needed a comedian last minute. And 
he was at Gersh, so I had a friend who was working with him and sent me his tape from Denver. And he just instantly was like, this guy's great. Yeah. And that was, since it was a little more last minute, it was a little more like, we didn't have a lot of, as much time to prep the set. So I was like, this joke will be great. Let's, you know, organize the set like this. And he came on and he just was amazing. He killed it. And Tom loved him. And he actually stayed in L.A. since then. He hasn't yeah. left. So that's always really exciting. No, he did. I love Troy Walker. Yeah. He's been getting up here a little bit in the last few weeks. Yeah, he's great. So how did you go about scouting? I mean, I know you mm-hmm. hit me up and say, can I come by the improv? Yeah. And, and, and then, of course, I'm sure everyone wants to know what you were looking for. And I would love to know, like, what specifically for Craig Ferguson, what yeah. he was looking for. Yeah. Well, Craig's, I mean, Craig's great because he's such a comedy supporter. So that's always nice. And, but, and Peter is very old school, obviously. So he, you know, it was definitely important that somebody be clean, which is a challenge sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I just, I definitely like seeing someone live, but I was always open to, oh, there's this comedian that's in who knows where and send me their tape. You know what I mean? So the benefit of being in that job is a lot of times people will pitch you their people or, but it, nothing like going out and just being in a live venue and seeing someone. What, yeah. Where, where do you go to scout in LA or where did you go? I mean, I'm not just saying this, but I love the improv. I think it's something about this place. It's just more intimate and I love scouting here. Uh, you know, but I used to do you remember the Super Serious show when it was in Culver? Yeah, of that course. That was always good. Uh, I mean, Store and Laugh Factory, too. It's always nice to, I think you have to enjoy it, you know? You have to, but it's important to put yourself out there. I don't think you can just book from a computer. No, absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. Did you, I mean, so but you did fly a few people out. Yeah, well, actually, I was lucky, too. At one point during my run there, they flew me out to New York for a week to scout. And that was amazing because the comedy scene is so different there. And I was able to set up showcases like the, at the stand. And that was so amazing because you're getting all these people presented to you in a short span of time. And found some people out there. Mm-hmm. This guy, Andy Hendrickson, he was someone I saw in New York that I really liked. And it was funny because I got a little pushback from some of the pushes they didn't really... Oh, I don't know if I should say this, but it's okay because he did well. So that's the point, <laughs> uh, you know, but I was like, listen, I really believe in this guy. I think he's going to do great. He and went on to do Letterman too, I think. Yeah, he came on and he killed it and it was great because Peter actually came up and he was like, I was wrong. <laughs> that was very validating. Well, based on what you just said, Andy is perfect. He's, he's, yeah, he's, he's clean. Perfect. And I was like, no, likeable. this is going to be. Yeah, exactly. So Do, were you in that position? I mean, and I talked about this with all the guests. Yeah. But, um, did you feel you were bombarded by comics um, or, you know, by email or did, did you have any nightmare stories about that or ways that you were approached that you would wish you hadn't or yeah. that, that you'd like? I mean, you definitely feel overwhelmed at some point with all the people you, hounding you. But, and I'm not going to say names, but I remember I kind of in early on kind of got pressure from an agent or somebody to book their client. And I didn't feel great about it, and I booked them. Mm-hmm. 
and it didn't go well. And so that was a really good learning experience. Just be like, just and Bar had said too, he's like, you got to go with your gut. And if your gut was telling you, eh, don't do it, <laughs> you know. And that was good learning early on that you just got to trust your instincts and not feel pressure from other people to get people on that you don't believe in. You know yeah, what I mean? Of course, but especially like you know, agents and managers—that's their job, right? Is to knock on those doors. But um, I've always been curious to know how much pressure they're putting on the late night bookers, and it seems like it can be just as much as a club for sure yeah yeah and what are i mean (laughs) the politics at that level like is that part of it like where an agent is like put this person on if you want to get this other bigger person or like what is what is the pressure to to make an agency happy yeah i would say it's not as much as we're like for example kind of have that in my current job booking the celebrity guest on the talk show I get that a little bit like hey if you book this person I'll give you this person mm-hmm. and I didn't feel that as strongly with com- with the comedy booking you know there's pressure from people that really maybe want their client but I didn't feel the positioning between I'll give you this person if you give me that person as much yeah I wonder because I mean you know especially for a huge tv show like that and a late night spot you know like and you have fewer spots um you hold all the cards. <laughs> yeah. Which gotta say, that's why I like the booking side yeah, sure. because you're buying, not selling. So that's what's fun about it. <laughs> so after Ferguson, that yes. ends more unemployment. More unemployment. Nice. <laughs> more drag queen. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. After the guest host shows ended, I was unemployed. Hmm. A few more months. And then that's when Hannibal Burris happened in that show. And that the reason I ended up getting that job was Jeff, who was one of the producers, actually both Jeffs, two Jeffs, who were at Russell, were doing Hannibal's show. So that's, they, you know, and that's why keeping those relationships is so important because you never know when you're going to be able to help someone out and when they'll help you out. Yeah, and remembering it's such a small world. It is. I mean, it and really that is. includes from the, from comics to the industry mm-hmm. and the producers and everyone. Yeah, yeah, everyone's moving, so always be cool as fuck. Yeah, and you never know how. And things take so long. You know, I had heard that the Hannibal show was going to happen. I'd heard about it for a long time, and it kept being like, "It's going to happen. It's going to happen." And then it finally did. And so, what so, was your position on that show? So I was the only talent booker. I was the full time booker and the only one. So that was. We did eight shows. We did like one show a week. But that was diff- a different experience too because it turned into kind of like Hannibal wanted to do a Chappelle type thing. So we ended up having music mm-hmm. every week. So I did a book called The Music, which uh-huh. was a whole different thing for me <laughs> with a whole different set of and how challenges. Much, um, what were the parameters that they gave you? And I'm curious too with, with Hannibal. Who, who's Well, Hannibal was so involved right. with everything. I mean, he... Which is great because obviously he has so many friends that he, and he was so involved with the music. It was never, honestly, it was never me picking the music. It was him, mm-hmm. but he had such a good taste in like this like underground hip hop. It was all these really cool artists. And we ended up having Flying Lotus as our DJ in house for the whole show, which yeah, was really so cool. cool. So yeah, Hannibal was so involved with that show every step of the way. Yeah. And I'm sure every show has got to be different like that, but, um, mm-hmm. Um, he knows so many comics and yeah 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 and I mean it must have been hard because he's 
writing and he's the talent and he's involved in his, you know. So it's a lot when your name's on the show and it's a new show, for sure. And so that lasted one season. Yeah. Then what happens? This is a fun little <laughs> railroad trip down your career. Yeah. Unemployment again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank yeah. you, the state of California. <laughs> for sure. It's funny because it used to be at a mail-in here to fill out the weeks and you had to mail it in. I remember Then that. I was calling. And then now. All online. You just, that money comes on a card. It's pretty oh, incredible. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, but it's funny to see that change. But yeah, unemployed again. And then, and then Earwolf came along. Yeah, which, you know, I've always been just part-time for them. But a friend of mine from Emerson was working there. And their booker was leaving, and she said that they were looking for someone. So, which, so it was. It's been great because it introduced me to the podcast world, which I really wasn't, you know, that privy of until then, honestly. And so, how does that work? I mean, how many podcasts are on Airwolf right now? Seven hundred and eighty. A lot, a lot. So I book for a lot of them. Mm, I probably book for. 10 to 15, but the thing is I'm not booking 100% of all each one, if that makes sense, you sure. know? So, but that's what's so fun too, is that we're working with comedians who are hosting the show, but you're also booking comedians, but every podcast is so different, you know? It's it's really cool. And connecting with people that I met through Gersh at some of the, like the Sklar Brothers, Jimmy Pardo, mm -hmm. you know? So that's always fun, like full circle moment. Uh, so yeah. how does that job exactly work? I'm, yeah. I'm very curious. Did it, do these individual producers hit you up? Um, are you fielding like from PR people? Yes. Everything. Yeah. So it it's anything from the host saying they want someone and arranging that to me pitching people to them to being an opportunity that publicists or production companies are pitching to me. So it's it's a lot to filter through but it's great too because you get to just book all different type of people I mean not just comedians like we have a podcast called I was there too where it's all about like the people that were on the, the fly in the wall in a movie so it's like booked uh I'll think of his name in a minute but the guy that plays the guard in Shawshank Redemption the guard uh, in Shawshank yeah the the tall guard what is it oh god blinking on the name Andrew <laughs> anyone Ryan? big Shawshank fan here does anyone know who played the guard in Shawshank Redemption yeah. who <laughs> the guard in Shawshank Redemption <laughs> do you, you remember his name Clive maybe Clive something Clive Revel oh my god yeah he's a huge character actor <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll I haven't decided whether we'll keep this segment in or not <laughs> me either <laughs> What's his name? Clancy, Clancy Brown. Brown. Thank wow. You. Samsonite. I was way off. Uh, but yeah. So like little random things like that. And we have a podcast that I love called Denzel Washington is the greatest actor of all time period. <laughs> That's always fun. But they have shows out of New York too. So I don't do much out of there. But Kevin Avery who's one of the hosts of the Denzel. He's out of New York. And then Camille Bell is out of Berkeley. So like that's always interesting too. So how difficult or easy is it to book podcasts, especially now that they're so superfluous? And um, I'm wondering, like, especially the bigger names are like uh, another podcast or mm -hmm. are they excited because it's Earwolf and does that make a difference? 
You know, I think it's one of those things that because if you're going to do a podcast, you're going to do it just because you're going to enjoy it, that makes it easier in some ways and harder in others, if that makes sense. Like, easy in the sense that someone's someone's like, yeah, absolutely, and then they're booked and there's not a lot of anything. Yeah, no contracts. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, too, you do get a lot of no's sometimes because people are like, well, why would I do this? But... In most ways, most people are excited and want to do it. And and in this day and age, I mean, there's, it's still as big as podcasting has become. It's still mm-hmm. not seemingly at the point yet where everyone knows exactly what it is. How often do you hit up people that are like, what is podcasting? <laughs> uh, Pretty often? Uh, not often. But it but happens. It, yeah. And it's always funny to try and explain it, especially if it's someone from a, you know. Different era. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> How much of booking for you is just, you know, all the people you know um, and have met over the years versus uh, just cold hitting up people and agents and managers? Mm-hmm. I think booking is a major part is having a Rolodex and those connections you have with people and who you know and building those relationships. And I think another important part of it is, you know, as people will find too when they're as pitching your clients, you do have to be resilient as a booker to follow up and follow up, you know, not too much to be annoying, but you can't just call or send an email and just hope that someone gets back to you. You know what I mean? I think it's so important to keep reaching out. And that's a great thing that I feel like hasn't really been talked about on this podcast is the, the, the gatekeepers that us gatekeepers have to deal with. Yeah. And it's a, a big one. Mm-hmm. And everyone thinks it is as easy as sending an email and yeah, I'll come to a set or I'll come up on a podcast. But, um, but yeah, the, talk about that for a minute. Like how resilient do you have to be? Like, how do you try not to be too obnoxious or annoying or, yeah. you know, um, where I'm working at now at Hollywood Today Live, I'm actually working as a part of 16 Mile, which is a talent booking company that this woman Leanne owns. And she's been a huge mentor for me and she's definitely teaching me a lot about booking. And also she's such an advocate of following up and following up. So, you know, I don't like to follow up. I'm definitely not following up, maybe not even once a week, you know, but it's definitely important because, and something I think is important too, is like, don't be afraid to pick up the phone Mm -hmm. because I think it's easy to just email, email, but People forget like something about just hearing your voice or when they do be like, oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah. But of course, you know, I think that's important too. No, I think that's, that's really good. I hate the phone. I do too. I'll admit it. (laughs) I think everyone does at this point. I do. And that's one thing I guess that's good about my job is I'm not on the phone that much, (laughs) but it's important every once in a while. Well, you have to remind yourself too, that it is an opportunity and Mm -hmm. it's tough because especially with the big names, it's like you've. I feel at least that it's always begging for a favor. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, they're going to do it because they're going to want to. Yeah. And remembering that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a tough thing that certainly I grapple with is like, I don't want to be annoying. I don't want to be pestersome because we know what it's like on the other side. Exactly. Too. We're usually the ones being annoyed. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, what, what do you, I mean, do you have any thoughts on, you know, how podcast is evolving and, and where you see this, headed yeah I mean even since I've been at Earwolf just this year it's crazy to see how it's gotten bigger and it's exciting and 
new podcasts that have started or, you know, Earwolf is just growing, which is really cool to be a part of. We have this new podcast, for example, it's called The Room Where It's Happening, and it's all about Hamilton, uh, Trayvon Free and Michael Drucker. And that's been so fun to be a part of because... It's an interesting show, too, because it's there. It's just each episode focuses on a song from the show. So it's not going to go f- keep going once every song is discussed. But it's been fun, too. Just the buzz around it. Like Kristen Chenoweth came on recently. Jesse Tyler Ferguson from Modern Family. And now the guys are going to go to the Chicago Podcast Festival in November, which is really exciting. And so it's cool to be a part of some something new as opposed to, you know, the shows that I came into. Mm-hmm. It's fun. Yeah. And it is, it's cool that podcasting is evolving to be, you know, there, there could be a beginning, a middle and end. There can be a season. Um, and it's such amazing ancillary content for, for these other things that are so huge. Yeah, And, it, it, and one thing I'll say about booking podcasts is it is different because 95% of the time I'm booking stuff and, you know, whereas it, when you're booking a live show, you see the fruits of your labor. And with podcasts, it's like you book it and then you listen to it later. Right. So it's, it's just different in that way as a Do you booker. listen to every podcast that you book? Mm. I don't watch every show I book. <laughs> no, no, I try, but. There's only oh, so many hours in a day. Yeah, yeah exactly. Definitely don't can't hear everything. But no, that, that's, yeah. that's, that's interesting The as far as the, the gratification level. Yeah, of, it wasn't even actually even until recently, a few months ago, that I sat in because I hadn't I need to this is important and it's it's cool to see it from <laughs> this side and have you been exposed to talent that you had no idea about before like is it opening up you know the, the types of talent that you're exposed to oh definitely yeah and that's what's cool too is like comedy bang bang like all those improvisers it's just all these different types of comedy mm-hmm. like ever it yeah that's what's great about the podcast world and through Earwolf I've been lucky enough to yeah you're booking a comedian or you're booking an actor or you're booking a musician or somebody has an improv background like it's all different which I like variety because it keeps things interesting absolutely so Hollywood today live so that's 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 your your main yeah that's Mm your nine to five now yeah and so you're booking all the guests sure (laughs) (laughs) why is it much more or much less oh much more oh it is oh yeah it's a lot I mean booking a a daily live yeah. show, mm-hmm. which uh, minimum two guests a day, and it's really fun, but it's it's a lot of work too. And what kind of guests are on the show? It's so funny because Tom Lennon was on today, <laughs> so that was cool because I haven't seen him since he hosted the Late Late Show. Uh, you know, just it it's it's cool to in the same way that the fun thing about getting comedians that maybe haven't done something. You know, I'm sure we're always aiming for those higher names maybe, but it's also fun to get people that maybe people aren't as familiar with, but you you know are going to be a great mm-hmm. talking guest. And yeah. What is the format of the show? So the format of the show is, it's, it's, it's all a Hollywood show. So the format is the first block is headlines. And, but the cool thing about the show is it's similar to Graham Norton is that all the guests sit on the couch at the same time at the top of the show. So they're taking part in the conversation too before their interview. So that's fun because it makes for a really lively environment every day. And then after the headlines, then the first guest, second guest. And then, you know, it's it's interesting because I've never worked on a show that does kind of the daytime stuff. Mm-hmm. Like they'll do 
fashion or cooking or that I'm and I'm not booking that, but it's interesting to be a part of a show that is doing that. So it's different too. And how much it, when you're working on that show, you're working with the other producers um, to fit the guests into like the context of each episode. How far in advance are you booking and how involved are you with, with the team as far as that goes? Oh yeah. Very involved. Everyone's, you know, all the producers and everything they've been meeting every day and talking about every day's next show. So, you know, in an ideal situation, you'd love to book someone far out, but there's been times of booking somebody the day before. So it's crazy. And you can book, I mean, that's actors. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. Mainly actors. I mean, there's so, I mean, thousands of people in this pool of people. Like how, how do you even keep a Rolodex? How do you even keep like a, do you just have a huge wish list that you're pulling from? I mean, that's another way that Leanne's been really helpful. And, you know, I'm I'm working for her company technically, even though I work in-house at the show. So she's been great in helping me start new relationships with people. But it's it's definitely you have to be on top of it in terms of what's going on all the time, like all the new fall shows and who's promoting what and Mm -hmm. who's coming into town and just being on top of that as much as you can. How do you know that? Internet? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you just got to keep doing your research. And like I said, it's it's a great team there. So everyone's really involved and everyone's collaborating. So, yeah. I mean, you're also in the position, too, where if people are pitching to you, but just keeping constant list of it's it's really crazy how many shows are on the air and the cast and just one. So knowing when someone would want to come on or but who would be a good guest. Yeah, I guess there's got to be so much competition more more than ever. Oh, yeah. Even look back in the day, there was Tonight Show and Letterman. I know. And um, I'm sure there was a third. That's why I'll always wish I could have lived and worked on that show when you were on Carson and over, like, literally everyone was watching you at that time. I mean, just don't have that anymore. And people aren't even sitting down to watch late night shows anymore. They'll watch the clips the next day. Yeah, carpool karaoke the next day. So it's just totally changed. Do you think that will ever exist again? No. No. <laughs> no. Just a different time. It definitely won't. It's sad. So you've booked for, you know, light, late night TV mm-hmm. or for daytime TV yeah. and now for a podcasting network. Right. You know, what What are the similarities that you see between all three? It's a really good question. Is think, there a through think, line at all? I think the similarity is knowing what makes someone interesting and who's going to be a good guest. Because I think at the end of the day... I mean, it is different. You definitely have to know your show. There are certain people maybe that I would, wouldn't book on Hollywood Today Live that I might have booked on Hannibal just mm-hmm. because it's different. But I think at the end of the day, if someone's entertaining and someone is somebody you would want to talk to, I think that's that's always the same. And it's got to be, I mean, especially for for a daytime talk show. Yeah. You know, a stand-up set is easy to, to mold and you, you kind of at least have a sense of what you're going to get. But for just a conversational couch spot, how do you, can you take chances? I think so. Yeah. But I do think it's important to not be completely blind before Mm -hmm. you book someone. You know, I think it is important to watch tape or be familiar with them. Not just, oh, this is so-and-so and and you should have them on. 
Yeah, of course. And then, I mean, that's interesting though. Like everyone's have, has to a first time sitting on a couch. Right. You know, it, it, would you have any advice for just, you know, comics that are maybe almost at that point where they're going to be invited? So, you know, what a producer of a show like this is looking for and how much of that is planned ahead of time versus in the moment? I mean, at Hollywood Today Live, they definitely, the questions are planned ahead of time, pre-interview. So I think it's important to, and I think that's important because you want to find out something interesting, not just go into it completely unaware of what, you know. But I think it's also just important to be yourself and not be afraid to talk. But it's it's different at this show, too, which I'm sure Corden and, and Graham Martin run into is like, you never know what the, you have to think about the combination of people. You know, you can't just say, oh, I'm going to have this person as the first guest and this person as the second guest and they they don't work together. Right. I think that's important. Have you, have you seen a, a bad mix? <laughs> have you had the opportunity to see a, a chemistry <laughs> explosion? Mm, gosh, I can't think. Name names. I know, right? it's okay if you haven't it it speaks to how good of a booker you are (laughs) um i did see amber rose on watch what happens live and it was really painful to watch really (laughs) yeah but that's all but that's a great show too that's the show i enjoy too because i think they're doing something so fun like just having that late night i think he's you know andy cohen's done really well with that show so it's always interesting to get to see their combination of people mm-hmm. and i don't know she was she and she she literally was like i think i might be the worst guest you've ever had and andy cohen was like i think so <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know i can't think in my life i'll have to think on that for a second what do you wish you knew when you first started um is there anything that stands out as like god if i'd known that when i was booking ferguson if i'd known that when i was booking hannibal yeah I don't know. Honestly, I've learned so much. It's like, it's hard to pick one thing, but I think it's, I think it's important with every booking you do to take away something. Like I have a Rolodex of everyone I booked, for example, just a Craig Ferguson, the date they were on, how they did and what, whether it went well, whether it didn't and what, and why. And I think that's good. That was good for me to have to learn, to make myself a better booker going forward. So I think it's important to that day reflect on how the booking went mm-hmm. and how you could change it. Just that way you're constantly learning and growing, moving forward. How have you learned? I mean, it's, it, it's you know, when I first started booking yeah. Hollywood Improv, I I didn't know that much about stand-up. I mm-hmm. mean, I'd been around it and I'd been a fan of it. Right. Um, and I'd certainly been around it more than most people, but that doesn't make put me in the position of knowing how to give notes, um, which that didn't happen for a couple of years where I could start to see you know, the flow of a stand-up set and yeah. why this joke might be a better opener and this one a better closer. How do you, you know, getting thrown into that world? I mean, I can't discredit the people that have helped me, you know, like Bart. And he 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 did. He helped me and he was always there even when I was still booking. He was gone if I needed advice or, you know. So I think it's important to have people in your corner that, have done have done it before you that you can ask for help. I think you know, that's, that's a great, <laughs> great piece of advice for anyone yeah. in any industry. Yeah. And by the way, I should mention that you know Bart Coleman, he was on you know one of the first episodes of the show. So oh, if nice. our listeners are interested in knowing about Bart, he's a great interview as well. Yeah, he's great. So, 
how long do you think you'll be at Earwolf? Do you have aspirations beyond this? Like, what, what do you, where do you want to be in 10 years or 15 years or two years? Yeah. Or 25 years. <laughs> I love Earwolf, so I don't, you know, I hope to stay there for a bit. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I'm still trying to get to that late night show and a, a big one that people are watching every night. And Kimmel is the one I'm watching right now, the one I love. I think he's great. So ultimately, that's where I'd like to be. And then beyond that, I don't know. But right now, that's kind of that's the goal. So, but well, it seems like a consistent dream. It's it's hard because people stay there forever, and right. I would too. <laughs> you know, so it, it's it's hard to get in there because once you're there. Leave, but we'll but, see. That's what I'm working Well, I for. think there's two things working in your favor. One, you've already done it, and <laughs> you've certainly proven that you, you you know a lot of people and that you're good at what you do. Thank you. And the uh, second is that I think every year they're adding 15 new late night shows. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so there's going to be more and more opportunities and platforms, and it's an for exciting sure. time I think to be to be a booker and an artistic director and and because there's so much talent and so many. It is avenues. exciting because there's so much going on and you never know what's going to work and and what's not what's not and that's why I helped someone who was doing like the history of Comedy Central. They were doing an article for the AV Club. Helped someone with the interviews for that and it was just that was fascinating to listen to. That was one of my when I was unemployed mm-hmm. helped transcribe all these interviews. And but it was great because I got to listen to everyone that had been there since before Comedy Central was even a network and see what they found in developing a show or if you know when they found Chabelle Show or Broad City and just learning. You never know what's gonna blow up and what's not. I think you just have to, like we talked about, just believe in your tastes and your gut and your that you know what's funny and hope for the best. I think that's perfect. Uh, well, thank you for joining me. Thank you so this much. This was so much fun. This was fun. Do you have any social media or any where can people find you? Do, do you even want that? <laughs> uh, nah. <laughs> well, thank you for joining me. Thank uh, you so for having me. Remind you and everyone else that listens to work on your craft endlessly. Be a professional. Be undeniable, and be cool as fuck always. <laughs> nice. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. For more episodes of Gatekeeper, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts.